Hello lovely people and welcome back to the fourth wall. we've got a fantastic show for you today. Later on I'm going to be chatting to New York casting director Kate Lumpkin. I fell in love with her videos on TikTok and she has got such a fount of knowledge so it's going to be really exciting to chat to her later on. As always we're going to kick off our show with our discussion point don't forget that you can connect with us over on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, give us a shout out, let us know your thoughts. Our discussion point this week is going to be a tad shorter than normal, but still really interesting, I feel. So following on from a couple of episodes ago where we chatted about um, some of the haunt, the, one of the most haunted theatres in the West End, and I thought it'd be interesting to find some more ghost stories um i don't know about you but i particularly was interested in in the haunted theaters so i'm going to tell you about two ghost stories this week the first is a ballerina called emma livery and she's known as the ballerina whose tutu caught fire now that if that doesn't entice you (laughs) hold on for the next piece of information so Emma Levery was the ballet prodigy of the Romantic era. Um, she had ballet pieces composed for her. She had a full-length ballet composed um, for her and had a the title role choreographed especially for her. So she was quite the quite the star um, of the eighteen hundreds. Um, and in eighteen sixty two she was rehearsing the title role of Fenella, who was a mime part and was the title role in the opera that she was in. Now, as she was making her second act entrance, she shook out her skirts to compose herself and her skirts caught fire on a gas light. Now, the accident was avoidable. There was a method of fireproofing costumes that was available in this period, but Levery and most female performers were opposed to it because it discoloured and stiffened fabrics. And of course, if you're a ballerina, you want nice floaty skirts. So she fluffed out her skirts, her skirts caught fire. In flames, she ran across the stage three times before she was caught and the fire was extinguished with the help of firemen and some of the other dancers. Her burns were more extensive than deep. Um, She clasped the burning fabric to her torso out of modesty. So her face and her chest were undamaged. According to the doctor who was there at the time, her thighs, her waist, her back, her shoulders and her arms were burned and her stays were burned on. She tried to pray. Someone who was watching the rehearsal rubbed makeup grease into her wounds in a mistaken belief that it would act as an ointment. Probably not wise. She suffered for months after this, but she still remained opposed to fireproof skirts. She said, yes, they are, as you say, less dangerous, but should I ever return to the stage, I would never think of wearing them. They are so ugly. Touch of vanity there, some may say. In 1863, she was moved from her home in Paris and her wounds reopened and she succumbed to septicemia. She was only 20 years old. Now, that's quite scary. 
Um, and the surviving scraps of her costume can actually be seen in the Opera Museum in Paris. So if you're ever there, go and see the remains of Emma Leverie's ballet skirts. So the second story I wanted to tell you, I told you these were short, <laughs> was France's greatest playwright, Jean-Baptiste Poquelin, better known by his stage name Molière, and he died dramatically. Now, when we say this is an arts and theatre-based podcast, we expect drama, we expect theatrics. So yes, he died in the most dramatic of fashions. He died on stage performing. Now, Molière had been a long-time sufferer of tuberculosis. Um, this was a condition that he was thought to have acquired during a prison stay that he had due to debt. And tuberculosis or not, this didn't stop him from pursuing his artistic endeavours. So this tragic night was set during a royal performance before King Louis Fourteenth. Ironically, the performance was called The Imaginary Invalid, a.k.a. The hypochondriac. It was during this performance that Molière began to cough and gasp uncontrollably until he eventually collapsed and began to hemorrhage. The performance stalled briefly um, and Molière insisted that the show must go on in true dramatic style. After bravely forging his way through the rest of the play, despite a secondary collapse, he finally made it home. Sadly, hours later, he passed away. He was denied his last rites, unfortunately, which led to a rumour that his soul didn't make it to heaven and that his ghost is still lurking around. On the night of his death, Molière's costume was green, and this set the superstition that green is an unlucky colour to wear on stage. Now, I don't know about you, but I couldn't imagine a more dramatic, dramatic death. Um, I mean, to be struck down on stage performing and performing a, a, a performance called The Hypochondriac, no less. Um, irony does not speak well of that. So those are our two mini stories for you today. Um, just a small discussion point to start us off. So what do you guys think? Do you believe in ghosts? Have you ever seen a theatre ghost? Do you believe the superstitions of wearing certain colours on stage. I know there are lots of superstitions and rumours and, and rituals that go around theatres and a lot of actors and performers and, and people in the theatre definitely believe in these. So let us know your thoughts. Check in with us over on our social media pages and let us know what you think and if you'd like to hear some more ghost stories. So this is the time of the show where we have a game. Um, I thought it would be fun to have a little focus on live action movies. I always mention it in my this or that with our guests. So why not base a game around it? So I'm going to give you five live action movies. All you need to do is put them in order. What came first? So our live action movies are Aladdin, Dumbo, the Lion King, Lady and the Tramp, and Beauty and the Beast. Again, they are Aladdin, Dumbo, The Lion King, Lady and the Tramp, and Beauty and the Beast. So stay tuned later in the show for the answers. 
and let us know how many you get right on our social media pages. So it is my absolute pleasure to welcome onto the show casting director Kate Lumpkin, who is coming to us all the way from New York. And I am so excited that you are here. Welcome to the show. Yeah, well, thank you for inviting me. I, I love chatting. So here we are. Yay. Well, we love to chat too, and we're so happy to be chatting to you. So we're going to start off with a game. Yes, I love a game. So our game is called This or That. Okay. So I'm going to give you two options, and then you just tell me which option you prefer. Great. So Netflix or Disney Plus? Oh, that's so hard. My husband is on the team of creators at Disney Plus. Ooh. So there's like a true loyalty there, like a deep <laughs> loyalty. Um, but if I'm being honest, Netflix. <laughs> it's okay. okay. It's okay. I mean, b- both. <laughs> uh, political answer. Um, yes, yes, yes. Instagram or TikTok? Oh, if you had asked me this question four months ago, I was on Instagram. Now, straight up TikTok. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, dogs or cats? Hmm. Oh, these are hard. Um, cats, because I have one. But God, I love a dog. Yeah. See, I can't choose. I have both. So I can't. I can't. I can't choose. <laughs> ah, but I. Ha- I currently have a cat, and Pumpkin Lumpkin is the love oh. of my life. I know, I, I know. love <laughs> But pumpkin is the love of my life, so I'm gonna say cats just for him. Good, good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, live action or original cartoons? Original cartoons. Period. The end. <laughs> I like someone who knows that's a definite answer. I'm like, there is. Come on. <laughs> Princesses or villains? Uh, mm. Oh God. I like, I usually like the princess songs better, but I like the villain arcs better. Hmm. I like when the princess turns out to be the villain or when the villain turns out to be the princess. That's the most delicious. Nice. <laughs> um, holiday at home or abroad? Abroad, 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 abroad. Uh, hot or cold? Hot, except for my coffee, which is always iced. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, night or day? Night or day, is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Night. West End or Broadway? Oh, that's not fair. Um, oh. oh. Uh, Broadway, I guess. <laughs> it's all right. Gotta go where you're home. So. <laughs> I mean, honestly, the National Theater is the real answer for me. I mean, I could, yeah. National theater is the real answer for me, but if, if I have to choose between Broadway and West End, I choose Broadway. Fair Especially enough. Especially because everything from the West End transfers to Broadway anyways. So we get it at some point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, live recordings or studio cast recordings? Mm. Well, bootlegs are bad. So I'm going to say studio cast recordings. Live. I meant live in a sense that it's been recorded live legally. I see. I see. Oh, you know what I do? I love an original Broadway cast recording that has chosen to do it live. Mm-hmm. I think there's some really that is very cool. Hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Old or new musicals? When is the defi- what's what defines old? Because for me, old is like. 
a long time ago. If we were to talk to some folks, they'd be like, well, musicals from the 90s are old. And I'm like, uh, are they? I'm talking a long time ago, like the classic. Golden age, golden age versus contemporary? Yeah. yeah. Contemporary. Dresses or leggings? Dresses, period. Always a dress. <laughs> night out or night in? Mm, night out. Oh, awesome. Ah, cool. That was fun. <laughs> I love that game because it's very telling. It's where kind of, you know, people are either they're really definite on their answers or they're like, I can't choose. I mean, it was the dogs and cats for me. I'm like, how dare you? How dare you make me choose between cute, cuddly creatures? Listen, pants or dresses, no definitive. Cats or dogs, nothing. I don't know. <laughs> no, I agree. I think that's that has been one. I think that's been the hardest question for people to answer is the dogs or cats one. <laughs> I just, it's just hard. It's very hard. I appreciate yeah. it though. I appreciate a little mental gymnastics, you yeah. know? Yeah. <laughs> so one question we're asking everybody is what's making you happy at the moment? Oof. The honest answer to that, unfortunately, is like very little. Um, I'm really struggling. My mental health is really poor right now and I'm doing everything I can to try to make that better. I am talking to folks and medication and like all the things. Um, but let's see, some things that are making me happy. My partner makes me very happy. Nachos make me very happy. Um, uh, the sun is kind of coming out here. It depends on the day, but sometimes we have some sunshine and that's really nice. I don't know how it's, what's going on in England right now. Um, <laughs> no sun. You're like, absolutely no sunshine. Great. I mean, I mean a little. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's few and far between here, but when it comes out, I'm like glued to the window and I'm like, ah, um, that makes me happy. I got some new roller skates and I'm trying to learn how to roller skate. That is hard. Harder than I thought, but making me happy. Um, and I think the kind of light at the end of the tunnel and some of the conversations that are happening in the theater industry um, about coming back and what that's going to look like, that's starting to make me happy too, I think. Aww. Have you guys got a date yet for like things coming, starting back up? It's not really working like that here. No. Um, you all have been... <sighs> I'm so envious of the processes that y'all have been trying at least and working on in the UK and that you have leadership that is being really um, vocal and forward about what they're trying and what's working and what's not working and, you know, and some things really didn't work. Okay. <laughs> you know, but there has been an effort uh, in the UK in a way that, um, we haven't really seen here in the same kind of strategic and forward presenting, like, here's what we're trying. Mm. Um, so no, there's not really like an official date of like, okay, this is when we're gonna come back. Um, or if there is, our leadership certainly has not informed us of said date. Um, but there are a lot of like whispers um, and conversations happening behind the scenes, and especially as our vaccination processes are rolling out. Um, you know, there were some guidelines recently released by the Actors' Equity Association um, that kind of lay out their expectations of shows in a post-vaccine kind of world. Um, but no, I wish there was a date where I could be like, yes, the magical day, July 17th, we're all coming back. No. Unfortunately, that's yeah. not the case. Do you all have a date? Yeah, May 17th is when things can start opening up again. So like okay. shows started selling tickets from, I think about the 20th onwards. Mm -hmm. um, 
But again, it's weird because for us, it happened like this was the same as it was at Christmas. Like we were giving a definite date of this is when you can have your Christmas meet up. And then it was like the day before. Nope, you can't meet anybody. You can't go with Christmas. So I think everyone's a bit like you've given us a date and we kind of are going to take it. But is it going to happen? You know, and I think, yeah, it's 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 that that tossing thing of do we want to know? Do we not want to know? Do you know? Yeah, and it's complicated because dates give us hope and they are something to look forward to. I think hope is so important, Um, but it's also sometimes, like you said, a false hope and that's also challenging. So I do honor sometimes why leadership is not so forward facing and not so vocal because they don't want to let people down and they don't want to, in essence, kind of like lie to folks. Mm. Uh, So it's challenging either way. It's you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. And, and I think we just all have to honor this is going to be a rollout process, right? Like it's going to happen on its own time. Each producer is going to be different. Each artist is going to be different. And as long as we're following regulations and keeping everyone safe, like that's what's important, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I wish, I wish there was a magic wand that we could just wave and be like, oh yes, everyone in the theater world can come back globally on this day. That would be magic though, (laughs) you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Cool. So why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about you, a little bit about your kind of career journey, your journey through the arts and and stuff? Yeah. Well, you know a lot about me now because we played the this or that game. So (laughs) you know all the things about me as a human. Um, As a professional, I have spent the better part of the last decade as a casting director uh, based out of New York City. Um, though I'm also a writer and I was an actor when I was a child and a teen um, and a young adult. Um, I also am a producer. So I wear a lot of hats, but a majority of my time is spent or it has been spent um, as casting director. So I work primarily on new plays and new musicals. That's what I am passionate about, working with new um, and young creative teams and writers and actors. Um, But I have also worked on very like grand scale old musicals as well. So like I've done a lot of different things, but my passion is new plays and new musicals. Um, I also worked in network television for a while as a casting director uh, and I'm also an educator so I am a professor at James Madison University um, and I teach at over 30 colleges in the United States um, and yeah uh, is what else um, my my journey I've done a lot of things I originally went to school for musical theater and then I left that school because it was not for me I got um, a two-year certificate in Meisner from the William Esper Studios in New York and then I went back to school and got a degree in um, anthropology and folklore with an emphasis on human sexuality and identity Um, and how we talk about that in spaces. And so I used that degree um, when I came back into the arts field as casting director. So my whole MO as a casting director is how do we create safe spaces to do dangerous work where we talk about our identity and our personhood and we kind of like lay it all out on the line. Mm -hmm. How can we ensure that artists walking into that space feel seen and valued and know the rules and know how to break them and know the players and know all the things um, so that artists feel empowered to do their best work. Wow. That's me. I love that. I think that's so important as well to 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 make performers feel comfortable and, and safe in the environment that they're in. Yeah, how can we expect them to to share of themselves and do like very publicly vulnerable work mm-hmm. in an environment where they feel really scared or really unsafe? Um, we've been doing that for decades and we've seen how it affects artists in the long run. It's not healthy. It's not healthy. Um, and so we need to do the work to change that. 
Awesome. Is there anything that you that you wish you'd known before you started on your kind of career journey or your journey into casting directing? Yeah. When I was younger, and I see this all the time now, it's this idea of like pick something and stay on the path. And if you stay on the path forever, you will get it at some point. Like just stick it out. Um, there were all those posters in schools that were like winners never quit, quitters never win, like this kind. And I am just here to tell you that that is a fucking lie. Like the reality is, a winning is a societal construct like a win for you abby is very different than a win for me so therefore there is no winner there is no success it is a personal thing um and you're allowed to change your mind like every single morning you wake up you are allowed to change your mind um and failure is not real and so if there's something else you want to try or something else you want to do do it and don't stop yourself. I remember, you know, I was an actor. I started professionally acting when I was eight years old. And so I thought, well, this is what I'm supposed to do for the rest of my life. Like, this is what I have to be. This is, this is what I trained for that my parents paid so much money for me to go to summer camp. And like, you know, I got to do it. And most importantly, I thought everyone is going to think I'm a failure if I decide to do something else. Mm -hmm. So I didn't. For a really long time, I stayed as an actor, even though I knew I was unhappy, I was mentally unwell. I like kept doing it, um, thinking, well, wow, if I go be a casting director, which is something that's gonna make me really happy and fulfilled and challenge me, people are gonna think I'm a failure. Mm. What? So, you know, it took so much courage and so much work to like unknit myself from this idea of who I thought I was supposed to be when I was eight years old. <laughs> and try something different and when I did um no one cared mm. like no one they cared because they wanted me to be happy and they could see it was fulfilling and I'd made a healthy choice but no one was like wow what a failure and if they were they certainly weren't vocalizing it and it certainly didn't affect me so that's what I wish I had known that like you're allowed to change your mind anytime and you're allowed to change it back like if you try something and it's not for you and you want to go back and do that thing again at any age, you can. We have so many fake rules that we think are set in stone that are just a lie, that are not real. Um, and they dictate everything in our lives. So that's what I wish I could mm. know. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I think that that definitely rings true for me. I did um I did my degree in theater arts. And then after that, um, you know, for me, it wasn't, I loved the degree. I think in terms of the feedback that I got from certain people and going into like auditions and stuff, it wasn't great for me, for my mental health and stuff. And I think um, I then took a year out and then I did my teaching degree and I, I love it. I love teaching. I wouldn't go back for the world, but then I still, they, you know, I, in the last couple of years, I've refound that love that I had for, yeah theater and I was like and I did a, a hybrid theater performance just before um Christmas and and we aired it just after Christmas and I was like oh my gosh like I'm missing that part like this was such a, like it wasn't a huge show it wasn't you know a, it didn't have thousands of views but it was you know it was something to 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 do and to get that creative side of me out yeah and I was like that's what I want you know and I was like why am I not, you know I was like why was I so fixed on this thing if I can't go back to that and thing it's seamless right the other thing is 
being an actor and having that training informs how you are a teacher. I'm sure it's what makes you such a beautiful teacher, such a wonderful teacher. And then the lessons that you've learned as a teacher, I'm sure also informs the way that you approached yourself as an actor, right? So it's not a either or, it's a how can we do, how can we be multiple things and be whole creatures who experience different facets of what they love? And then how do those things inform the way we do everything else. Like, I'm sure you were a better actor when you went back to do your, your project at Christmas than you had been before, because you have learned stuff through the kids that you work with, the parents that you've had to navigate. I'm sure that taught you some things, <laughs> um, right? And like, I'm sure you're a better listener now than you were before, which is what acting is, is professional listening. Like, you don't lose anything by trying new things. You only gain things. And so I just wish people really talked about that more and that you know also there are a million ways to be in the theater um and if being an actor professionally is not what you want to do but being an actor fills your spirit you are no less of an actor if you're doing a community theater production or a regional production or hell you're making a musical in your backyard like the the reason to be an actor is because it fills your soul mm. um and there are lots of ways to achieve that so Yes, yes. Go back, Abby. You better do the work. You better. Yeah. It's important. And it'll make you a better teacher for your kids. Absolutely. And I think I think for me, there was always that element of, you know, I can use, I was like, oh, you know, I'm working with little kids. I can use parts of my degree, but I never realized how much I would use. Like, even in like doing, you know, doing an assembly or I, you know, I run the choir at my school and doing things like that. And I was like, you know, all these little parts. And I was like, there's little bits that I'm I'm getting from that. And I'm able to apply to both the musical side of me and the teacher side of me and yeah yeah and that's the same for any career if someone has training in theater and they decide they want to become a doctor i guarantee you their bedside manner is better than most doctors because they know how to communicate so i mean i always make this joke in the states ronald reagan uh I, I don't particularly like his politics, but he was a Hollywood actor and he used those skills to become the president of the United States, right? Like not my favorite politician by any means ever, but it just is proof that what it takes to become a professional actor, those skills are really transferable um, and useful in so many other places as well. So why not, if you need a change, like I give you permission to release from the idea of who you thought you needed to be at eight years old and yeah. you are allowed to change your life every day. Ah, oh, I love that. In the last kind of year since um, COVID hit and everything kind of changed, how has the casting sign side of things changed for you kind of in terms of your perspective on it? How has it changed for performers? Gosh, I mean, everything, right? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, before COVID happened, so March of last year, I had like, I don't even remember, like 14 projects lined up that I was ready to work on for the rest, you know, for the next couple of months after that. And like immediately March 12th of last year, done. They were all gone. Um, and to be perfectly honest with you, the casting work that I've been doing this year has been all like offer only Zoom 29 hour readings, right? Like that's kind of what has been happening. So um, my casting work has been like in the traditional sense has been really limited. But what I think has really happened this year is, um, you know, conversations and revolution in the street. And so conversations about race and identity and white supremacy and, you know, all of these kind of systemic inequities that are super present in every facet of our industry um, 
these conversations, I think, are leading to a lot of change in the way that auditions will take place moving forward when we start to, like, come back into spaces. Um, it's really... I always say, I was talking to my agent this morning and I was like, I'm so fucking irate because all I want to do is like get in the room and start making these changes. But like, we can't. So we're just like sitting here, like um, waiting, you know, for something to happen, but it will. So, I mean, I think, you know, people have been really vocal about what they need in the audition room. Um, and so I think people are taking note and trying to make new systems to ensure that people are treated like people, uh, that artists coming into that space have agency and they know their rights and they know what you know they expect of us sitting at that table um the other thing that i think we've seen is just like the rise of the self-tape um self-tapes i think have been such a bane of so many actors existence for such a long time but now people are getting really great at it and they're proving really useful and casting directors are finding great new systems for um, watching them and taking notes on them. And finally, producers are actually watching tapes. I cannot tell you, Abby, I have spent like five years trying, trying to get theatrical producers to watch self-tapes. And the pushback, my love, has been like, I will not do it. I can't learn anything from a self-tape. And I'm like, but you can, but you can. And now finally, because there's been no other option, a lot of producers who really thought that they couldn't learn stuff from self-tapes have realized like, <laughs> oh yes, we can. So I think we'll see a big shift moving forward in, I think a lot of first round auditions um, will be happening via self-tape. And I wonder if we'll see that, you know, like equity calls and things like that might be replaced by self-tape submissions. I don't know because mm. I am not the president of equity. Um, uh, but, you know, I think that's what I've seen this year is like a, a much more open, present, and um, really thoughtful dialogue about race and identity and personhood in the audition space and self-tapes coming around. And I think as we continue to move forward, like I said, in this kind of like rollout, because there's not just some like other side of COVID, quote unquote, like that's not real. It's going to be a rollout process. Um, I hope that we start to see some really strong new systems in practice um, that enable all of those discussions we've been having and all of this new learning with self-tapes um, to, to be utilized in a really healthy way moving forward. Mm. But that's gonna be an individual thing. And it'll be really interesting also to see who does implement those practices and who doesn't. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Do you, think, do you think it's been harder for, for, I guess for both sides of the thing? Cause I guess when you go into an audition in person, you know, you get a feel of the person, you kind of get, you know, you kind of get a connection from yeah. meeting someone face to face do you think that's been harder with uh like just it, it just being self-tapes and stuff um yes and no i mean i made a tiktok about this in that like when you're scrolling on tiktok and you're on your fyp and like you know within eight seconds if something is resonating with you if it's funny if it's interesting if someone has a point of view um if they are something you want to watch right like we all do this. I used to do that example, but with dating apps where like people would look at something and you just swipe, you make these decisions. Um, so I think that people whose job is a casting director, our job is to very quickly honor and synthesize the information that someone is giving us and try to relate to it and understand it and place it in a, a, you know, a world that's gonna work for them. Um, so 
I think that I have that skill via self-tape as well as in the room. Um, but I think we've also learned you can learn a ton from Zoom. Like, I feel like I know you. We've only been talking now for 20 minutes, but I feel like I know something about you and I can feel your energy. So um, I really do think self-tapes work and that you can learn something from somebody. Um, and the other thing about them that's so great is that like actors have agency. They can do them a couple times. They can really hone in on it and perfect it and change something if it's wrong. Um, and I, I don't think there's less than, I mean, there's nothing like an in-person audition. I really honor that. Like I get it because there's banter and there's, um, you know, like a hands-on experience. Um, but when you watch a Netflix show, you feel like you deeply understand a character. There is nothing that separates you from their identity and, and the world that they're in. So why are we trying to deny that self-tapes are not just film and television? Because they are. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think that we can learn almost exactly the same thing. Cool. But that's just my opinion. I know other people disagree with me. No, I think, I mean, I agree. I think there is, and I think it, it, it ties in with that, that what you were saying before about, you know, creating that safe space and creating that environment where they feel comfortable and they, you know, if you are having a Zoom meeting with someone, it's, you know, I think it is about that, that environment that you, you put forward, whether yeah. that's personal or not. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Hmm. So what, <laughs> what, <laughs> what are your do's and don'ts of self-taping if people are sending in? What do you like to see and what do you not like to see? Oh my gosh, there are like so many articles about this on the internet and there's so many different opinions. So I want to preface this by saying like, fuck it, you <laughs> do you. Because again, art is subjective, right? If you submitted the exact same self-tape to seven different offices, you would get seven different opinions on everything about it. From the material you chose to the way you chose to like lay out your space to the way you were acting, like all of it, right? So at the end of the day, don't let someone's do's and don'ts stop you from doing your work and doing your best work, whatever that means. Because it's just never gonna be the same across the board. So like for me, I mean, you know, uh, do it like be prepared, do your work, um, have done, you know, your, I can always tell when someone is just kind of like reading the text and hasn't done any sort of work to actually think about the character or, you know, plot out their beats or, you know, plot out their eye lines, right? Like that's really important to do that work. Um, consider lighting, consider your sound, consider um, the quality of your camera. I mean, Oscar nominated slash winning films have been made on your iPhone at this point. So like you have the opportunity within your hands to make something really beautiful. So, so try. Um, but at the end of the day, I've also seen self tapes that are hot mess express in terms of like technical aspects and the work was so brilliant that they still get passed on, right? So at the end of the day, my do's and don'ts. I don't really like do's and don't lists because they, um, to me, it's really, uh, I think when people have hard do's and don'ts, 
Uh, it alienates a lot of people. It alienates a lot of people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, from different educational backgrounds, um, and and it alienates people who don't have a certain kind of access to certain kind of tools. So when people are like, you must get a really nice camera, you must have a really nice lighting setup. I'm like, if you don't have the ability to access that because of your resources, that doesn't make you less of an actor. So, um, but also if you do have those things and you wanna spend them on that, it does look nice. So I can't like get mad about it. Um, so I don't really have a do and don't list, but my thoughts are be as prepared as you can. Um, really, really consider the space that you're in and make it the most, um, you know, accessible and palatable as you can. Um, and always, always, always submit before the deadline. That <laughs> is the number one rule of thumb. If you're submitting right on the deadline, your tape is probably not going to get watched. You have to submit early. Early is on time. Yeah. Good advice. <laughs> yeah. Get it in, you know? Virtual round of applause. <laughs> okay, applause. I love that. No, that's good. I think, and I think that's important. We've had another casting director on on the podcast. When we first started, and she, you know, for her, she was very clear on what she does and doesn't like. It, but I think, you know, noting that actually, you dip, you know, like you said, if you have seven different casting directors or producers, you're going to get seven different opinions and. Yeah. And like, we know that, especially on like panel discussions, when someone does a, a, a side and someone says, oh, I really like that side on you. And someone else is like, oh, I really didn't. And you're like, okay, there's, there's just no pleasing everyone, just like anything in this life. And if you are pleasing everyone, you're doing something fucking wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're living yeah. too many lives. <laughs> yeah. Or not enough. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> or zero lives. You are a machine. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh. So in terms of, um, so for you, um, I know you said you like to, you produce new plays and new musicals. What, what stands out to you? What do you look for when you're kind of looking for something new to? Yeah, I, I, a couple things. Um, I think that you know, we, we hear a lot of folks say like, we're looking for new stories and new voices and blah, blah, blah. And, and yes, like that is real. That is something that um, really draws me to a piece to either work on it as a casting director or a producer. Um, but what that really boils down to is like point of view. Um, what, what are you trying to say and how are what you are saying, how, how is it being expressed in a new way? Um, and that's what's always so exciting to me is when someone has a really, really, really clear visual vision of what the, the product looks like, what the world looks like. Um, when you hear music in a style that you've just like never really heard storytelling happening before, um, when you see text on a page and you go, I've never met that person before. Like that really excites me. When I read a play and I'm like, oh, I know this person, I kind of get bored um, because that, that to me says we've either seen this play or this story has been produced a whole lot or I can have tea with that person. Um, I'm very interested in learning about someone new's life. Um, so that's what's really drawn to me. And I'm also really drawn to things that are kind of wacky, um, things that are uh, magical, things that are fantastical, things that are big in scope, but also things that are highly intimate um, and tiny. Um, 
So I, I'm, I'm interested in a lot of things, but the core root of what I'm also really interested in is making theater accessible to people who think they don't like theater. Um, and so I'm also very interested in immersive experiences um, and highly theatricalized immersive experiences um, and finding ways to bring those to audiences um, that introduce people who think that theater is boring into brand new worlds where they feel like they're a part of it. Um, and that is very exciting to me. No, I'm, I'm the same. Like I love, um, when I did my theater school, I found a, a love for, I think I, I went into it very like musical theater is what I want to do. And I found a love for plays when I did my theater degree. And we did, you know, we did a lot of them, a lot of kind of different, different styles. And it was, it was the one thing that it was stuff that I hadn't heard of and hadn't come across before. And I, you know, you put your all into it. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. And that's the thing I love the most about theater, too, though, is that there's so many different, I mean, theme parks are theater, right? Like, uh, there are so many different ways and different things that are theater that we don't consider theater, um, which is why I'm so excited by, like, TikTok theater at this point and different ways of creating theater. Um, and that also gives the artists who make it a a brilliant we get to reinvent ourselves all the time like you said you went to school and you realized like oh I like plays and I never thought I did and then you read a play that all of a sudden is an immersive experience and you're like oh god I love this thing and then you go to Disney World and you see this like highly theatricalized experiential ride uh like Rise of the Resistance in Galaxy's Edge which blew my fucking mind and I was like this is theater like this is theater and technology and cinema and immersive experiential experiences. Like I was like, oh, this is theater too. Like it's very exciting. And um, I'm happy that the art form keeps transforming and expanding. Yeah. Well, you could be a nice good segue into TikTok musicals. Yes. Yes. Um, so yeah, what, what do you kind of, what's your, what's your view on them? What's your kind of view on their, their place in, in theater? Mm. I'm obsessed with them. I, I, I will never understand folks who are like, this isn't theater, this isn't musical. <laughs> it absolutely is. It absolutely is theater. It's absolutely musical theater. It's the democratization of theater, which I think some people don't like um, because it puts access and um, agency into literally the hands of anyone who wants it, um, which I think is exciting for me. I think it will be interesting to see now that you know we see actual commercial products coming from it and we saw you know ratatouille raised two million dollars in 48 hours right this is that's real coin that's <laughs> real money that came from that and we're seeing like barlow and bear with bridgerton that is also you know they're striking deals and they're making things coming from that so that's also real coin we're seeing more and more kind of pop up um I think it will be interesting to see how they start to become regulated and the legalities that have to come into practice. And also like there are two different types of shows now, right? There are ones that are highly collaborative from multiple artists coming together to create something in the space. Mm -hmm. And then there are shows like Bridgerton where Barlow and Bear have very clearly said, oh, it's fine. If you wanna do a dance that's inspired by our music, please go for it. We love that you're being creative, but you are not actually a part of this. Like." we are taking ownership of this you are watching us write it from top to tail and like this is our project period the end bridgerton by barlow and bear right yeah. um and those are two very different models of what this can be um and so it'll just be really interesting to see how they begin to be produced 
externally outside of this virtual space. Um, and I, I'm obsessed with it though. Like I'm so glad the world has Barlow and Bear now in this really meaningful, beautiful way. And how cool that they've opened their writing process to the world. They're like, you don't believe we write this? Yeah. Cute. Here we go. We'll sit here for four hours on you know TikTok Live, and you can watch us write this dope song. And we do it by the thousands. We're obsessed with it. Um, and so I think it's amazing. I think it's so cool. And it's busting so many of these old gatekeepers' gates wide fucking open. Yeah. Um, it's about damn time. Do you like them? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your face. Yeah. I wish that your podcast audience could see your sweet face. It's just like a lit up. Why do you like them? Um, oh, do you know what? I think part of it for me, like we watched, I watched, we watched Bridgerton. I think we binged Bridgerton in this house the day it came out. Yeah, me too. Um, I stayed until 4.30 in the morning. Yep. Oh, okay. we, we sat there. I think we started at 11 o'clock in the morning and we sat there. We finished. We're like, oh, cool. Now let's do it. And we're like, oh my gosh, it's been like eight hours. <laughs> yeah. But it was, I mean, that, that itself was kind of amazing to watch. And then I remember, you know, as, as you do, scrolling through TikTok, and um and I came across the very first video that um Abigail put up and I was like oh, the honeymoon. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And I was like, this is cool. And then you kind of, you know, you follow a little bit and you see people singing it. And then when they opened up like the Instagram lives and the TikTok lives and to like to see that process and to it was it was incredible. I talked about it a little bit on one of my previous podcasts, but I mean, it would just, it just, it just, I don't know, it just something about it captivated me. Like I'm always, I've always been interested in the writing side of things. And it's something that I wish I could, you know, do as easily as that. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, I think to be able to see that, but to see them do it, you know, to sit down for an hour and come up with a verse and a chorus of song, but also to sit there for an hour and be struck by writer's block, like saying, it's something so raw about that and so real and to say, you know, we don't get it right all the time. And they rewrote the Queen song, you know, about three times and, I mean, it just, yeah, there's something so real about it and you forget how young they are as well. Um, 19 and 21. Yeah. <laughs> blows my mind. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. 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 But they are and they are so real. And I think, you know, I think if you saw, you know, I think people think, oh, you know, Abigail's a pop star, da, 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 da. you know, it's like you, you get this, people get this idea of what they are like in their head, but they are so real. They're so down to earth. They love their fans, you know, mm -hmm. and I think, I mean, yeah. There's some. There's just something very, very in intriguing about them, and and yeah, I'm just awestruck and in love. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's amazing, it, and I'm with you. I think the coolest thing about TikTok is, and TikTok musicals in particular, is that we're led in on the process really early, in a way that not many other shows or writers or creative teams have like utilized that as a means of also advertising, as a means of creating a fan base, right? There were some shows, Beetlejuice was doing a really great job of this before COVID. They were using social media in a way that felt really inclusive um, of their fan base. Um, but not many other shows have been doing that. And so it'll be also really interesting to see like are, you know, Justin and Binge, sorry, Pissick and Paul gonna like sit down and um, start opening up their writer's room? Like, will they start doing something like that? Will we see other folks do this? Who knows? Um, but it'd be really cool. And I think people would tune in. <laughs> yeah, I think so. One thing that um, I had a conversation with someone a while ago is um, the thing about, I know that TikTok, um, there's, you know, TikTok shadow bans people a lot. And you kind of, for me, I was like struck by what if there are more, like more musical ideas out there that we're just not seeing because either there they are there's so many yeah. 
yeah. you think you know you either don't see them because they don't have a big enough following or people don't comment on them or they don't have the right hashtags or whatever or or they've been shadow banned and you just think wow, what are we missing like this is such a good platform for people to to do that because it is so inclusive in a way and it is so come as you are and just stick up a 60 second video <laughs> yeah who but, knows who yeah knows? but also like every day there's something new that we discover in a new person and a new thing it's just it's like roulette right it's like literally roulette and you just never know where the ball is going to land day to day yeah i know yeah yeah i know when the queen's gambit has only just been talked about in the queen's gambit musical has just been talked about in, like what's on stage and stuff but i remember seeing videos for it like not long after the Bridget to Katie Oxman. It was Katie Oxman who did it yeah. on TikTok. Yeah. She yeah. posted like what if Queen's Gambit was a musical and she wrote a song. Oh yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like that's only just, you know, blown up now. And so it's like, yeah, I, I'm excited for it. I think there's there's definitely a place for it in 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 today's society, I guess. So yeah, yeah. I'm excited for it. Absolutely, me too. I love it. So one thing that we've talked about on the podcast is this this and I know that it's something that you've talked about on TikTok as well is this um this thing of like types and typecasting and we had someone on the other week who was talking about the disconnect between musical theater and plus size performers and I think you know that's something that is is really prevalent so what's your kind of take on on typecasting and types and Oh yeah, I mean, I talk about this everywhere. <clears throat> this is like the hill I'll die on. I'm happy to die on this hill. Like I'm ready. I got my cemetery plot on this hill. Like I'm ready. Um, <clears throat> and I'll say the soundbite I always say, which is, you know, type and typing is an antiquated notion. Um, I think it's deeply rooted in the Hollywood studio system of the thirties and forties um, that kind of built these ideas of contemporary archetypes. And those contemporary archetypes were built by the wealthy, older white men who were running those studios. So those people were deciding like, oh, these bodies are funny to me. And like, these bodies are sexy to me. And like, this kind of body can do, is a dancer's body. And like, and so, you know, the, the studio system really reinforced that over and over and over in Hollywood. And then we saw it, you know, come into commercialized theater when theater became highly commercialized. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just, it's a really antiquated practice and it's deeply rooted in white supremacy and it's deeply rooted in, you know, as very specific agendas that were of a time and a place that's just not 2021. <laughs> um, and it shouldn't have been what it was in the thirties and forties either, but it was okay. We release like now it's 2021 though. And we gotta make, we gotta make new choices. We've gotta make new decisions. We can't be lazy and fall into these kind of like mechanical things. And so I don't think that's all casting directors fault. And I don't think it's all producers fault though. We for sure reinforce these things. I think it's a, also a really, really deeply rooted in the education system, especially I can only speak for schools in America because those are the ones that I work at, but I see you nodding your head. So I'm assuming it's also probably happening in the UK. <laughs> Um, but you know, there are these type is being taught in our BFA and BA programs all over this country and being reinforced in young people's minds mm -hmm. that like, you have to know who you are at 17, that your body dictates what you are and are not allowed to do. And that you have to pick material based on your look. And when you're reinforcing that in someone in their educational environment, and then you're sending them off into the professional world, people are showing up thinking that they're doing our job, casting director's jobs for us yeah. and reinforcing those types over and over and over again. And it 
I mean, it gives casting directors very little to be able to break that habit as well. So it's coming from both sides and it's a problem. So we need to break it down in the educational sphere and we need to stop teaching type. We need to start figuring out who are people? What's going on below their skin? What's going on inside? What is their through line and their point of view? What moments have shaped their lives that affect the way that they sing or speak text? You know, what do they stand for? How do they express those things? Okay, once we figure that out about people, then we say, what do you want to sing? Because last time I checked, people who weigh more than 98 pounds have sex. They fall in love. They have babies. Also, people who are 98 pounds can be very funny and can be like, can do all sorts of things. Like there's no, there's no restriction on what people can be based on this sack of skin that we like tootle around in on this earth. So for me, I, I think we need to stop teaching it in educational systems, and that will severely help the problem and also create generations of people who are much more mentally well um, and physically well uh, when they come to their respective cities to you know, be performers. And then also we, just, we need to be really conscious in, in the audition room about biases, about um, our you know, unconscious biases, about things that have been ingrained, and we have to be really, really, really diligent about breaking those biases and breaking those patterns. Um, and also reminding other folks who aren't nearly as aware, like, hey, doesn't say on the page that this person is, you know, any sort of, like, it doesn't say that this person is a 20-year-old Latinx female identifying person who weighs 120 pounds, and that's specific for the script, right? Like, if that's not the case, then we can be looking at anybody <laughs> and anybody um, and that's exciting and and default shouldn't be white skinny yeah and it has been for a very long time for me teaching is not what's just written in a syllabus right it's how yeah. you speak to people it's how it's what material you give them or say that they're allowed to do it's what you cast them in in your shows at uni that is all teaching. That is all reinforcement of patterns and ideologies and systems. And so they are teaching it, even if they're not saying, all right, let's figure out your type. They're telling you what they think your type is. And that's, that is in form of education, whether you like it or not. Yeah. They are reinforcing and teaching it. And that like educators need to be re-educated. Absolutely. I yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> a lot of people would agree with you. <laughs> yeah. No, I do agree. I do agree. And I think especially like that, you know, that leads hand in hand with, especially at the moment, I think with the effect that things are having on mental health anyway, like things like that are just more damaging yeah. to that and stuff. Um, in terms of, in, in going on to mental health, how do you think, I think, you know, a lot of performers, I think a lot of people generally have been affected mentally. I don't think there's any one person can say they haven't, their mental health has not been affected by the last year. How do you think that will, will look going back as performers start going back to performing and work and, and what can, what can we do as, I don't know, you know, as, as audience members, friends, as, you know, professionals in the industry to, to kind of protect ourselves and people we know from, from a, I don't want to say a downfall, but you know you don't want anyone to go into it and and really suffer. Yeah, I think we just need to keenly listen. Like a lot of the time, people are giving you clues and hints, and lots of times telling you straight up, "I need help," 
or I'm sad, or I feel lonely and isolated, or I can't figure this out, or I'm hurting. And so often we just kind of glaze over it. Like my favorite example of this is like, um, how are you doing? Hey, how are you doing? And the response that we're supposed to give is like, oh, I'm good, how are you? Yeah. Uh, we're conditioned to do, like, and I know, like, I always think of Taui and I think like, you're right. Like, that's like, how, and, like everyone is always like, oh, you're right. I, but no one actually cares. Like, they're just like, that's the, I love, listen, I'm obsessed with Taui. It's like, oh, <laughs> um, but, you know, we, I think the best way as we especially start to come back and we're, we've now like conditioned our brains to, uh, to be alone. And it's going to be overwhelming for a lot of people to be in crowds again, or to put themselves out there, or even just to trust science. I believe science is real, but even, I've just told myself, if you leave this house, you're going to die, right? So the the reality, even with the vaccine of being like, no, okay, you're good. You're going to go, you're going to get on the subway. That That's a lot. It's a lot of retraining again and relearning. And so I think my biggest, my biggest thing that I'm going to try to practice is like, listening between the lines um, and trying to be very vocally supportive and check in with folks um, and like show up for them in ways that I didn't even used to show up for people before, um, physically and emotionally, mm-hmm. because this is going to be a bizarre transition back. Um, and I just, yeah, yeah, I just think we need to listen. and. My other thing is if someone feels uncomfortable and they need to go, you need to let them without any sort of guilt or agenda or like, it's been a whole year. Oh my God, we finally get to see each other. Why Why are you uncomfortable? No, there's no guilt. People are uncomfortable. We just let them live and we let them leave, you know? Um, and the same for ourselves. If we feel uncomfortable, we let ourselves live and we let ourselves leave. Like, boop, 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 boop. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that's going to be the real thing for me is just like let people live however they need to you know yeah good advice (laughs) so as we as we finish up what's kind of one one piece of advice or one thought or one kind of thing you can leave us with to take into our week (laughs) Hmm. one piece of advice oh man My mind has like a thousand and none. Um, The word forgiveness just keeps popping in my head over and over and over again. And I think the piece of advice that I have is just like, forgive yourself, forgive, forgive yourself. I mean, that's it. That's it. Because you, you do not owe anyone else forgiveness. Um, It is a gift that you give to someone if you feel like they are deserving of it or if it's going to help heal you or them. But forgiving yourself, is it should be a requirement. Like it should be something that you do daily. And especially as artists and especially as artists whose jobs have been taken away and so much of our identity I think is wrapped up in, in our work. Um, I've really had to practice forgiving myself for a lot of feelings that I've had, a lot of jealousy, a lot of rage, a lot of anger, a lot of like aggression, a lot of like deep, deep depression um, that has caused me to feel certain ways, but also my loved ones and people around me. And at the end of the day, I'm just practicing forgiveness for myself of like, 
we are allowed to be flawed. We are allowed to be beautifully flawed people. Um, and that is part of what we do. So if you've made mistakes and you've grown, give yourself forgiveness, like give yourself that gift. Um, because if you don't, it will be hard. It will be very hard. That's, that's what I got this week. Oh, well, Kate, thank you so much for coming and chatting to me. Thank you for chatting with me. Now, I was going to play a few of Kate's TikToks at the end of this interview, but honestly, there are so many good ones. I just couldn't choose and I couldn't make that decision. So I really strongly encourage you to go and follow Kate over on her social media, on Instagram, on TikTok, and just listen to what she's got to say because she is so knowledgeable and so easy to listen to as well. I just want to thank her again for coming on and giving up some of her time to come in and discuss all things theatre with me. So it's now time for the results of our game. So I gave you five live action movies and all you had to do was put them in order of their release date. So. I can tell you that four out of five of them were released in 2019. So we're going by the month. So the first film is Beauty and the Beast, which was released in March 2017. So that's a lot earlier than the others. The next film was Dumbo, which was released in March 2019. Aladdin was May 2019. The Lion King was July 2019. And the last one was Lady and the Tramp, which was released in November 2019. So let us know how many you got right over on our social media pages. Well, guys, thank you so much again for coming and tuning in this week. I just want to thank Kate again for coming and chatting to us all things theatre and casting and the arts and yeah if you're new here welcome welcome to the episode check out some of our other episodes and if you're a long time listener thank you so much for your continued support so guys make sure you tune in next week i'm going to be chatting to Cher Anne who um, founded Creative Voices which I talked about a little bit in one of my first episodes with Millicent Blair and honestly it's such a great um, incentive, it's such a great programme and yeah it's, it's we have a really good chat so make sure you tune in next week for that. Don't forget we have got a giveaway happening open over on our Instagram page so make sure you're following us over there and follow all the instructions to win a £10 theatre token so see you next week guys remember to stay safe stay stagey and most importantly stay you until next week bye